0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the February 1st edition of the WorkComp Academy Weekly News. I'm Renee Fulce, an attorney with the Floyd Skarin Law Firm. Thanks for joining us today. Let's get started with a litigation report. The Court of Appeal ruled that a subcontractor in a civil action lacks standing to challenge a court prevent doctrine dismissal of the general contractor in a wrongful death case. Here's what happened in the published case of Atlas Construction Supply versus Swinnerton Builders. Mr. Marcelo de Velasco Sr. was a construction worker who was killed when a concrete column formwork toppled over at a construction worksite. The worker's surviving family members brought this wrongful death action against the general contractor, Swinnerton Builders. And formwork supplier Atlas Construction Supply. Atlas cross complained against Swinnerton for equitable indemnity, contribution, and declaratory relief. Swinnerton moved for summary judgment as to the plaintiff's complaint on the grounds that the common law privet doctrine precluded Swinnerton from being held liable to the plaintiff's. Under the Privet Privet doctrine, the hirer of a contractor generally may not be held liable in tort when the contractor is hired to do inherently dangerous work and an employee of the contractor suffers work-related injuries due to the contractor's negligence. The trial court granted the motion and entered summary judgment in favor of the general contractor Swinnerton. As to the plaintiff's wrongful death complaint. Afterward, Swinnerton, in lieu of seeking entry of the judgment on the summary judgment order, settled with the plaintiff. Under the settlement, plaintiffs agreed to dismiss their case against Swinnerton, and Swinnerton waived its costs. Swinnerton then requested, and the trial court granted, a good faith settlement determination under the California Civil Code procedure section apparently apparently under the shared belief that the good faith settlement determination barred atlas's cross complaint against swinnerton atlas and swinnerton stipulated the dismissal of atlas's cross complaint against swinnerton but atlas then appealed the summary judgment order in favor of swinnerton the good faith settlement determination and the dismissal of atlas's cross complaint The Court of Appeal dismissed the appeal to the extent it concerned the summary judgment order, and in all other respects the challenge orders were affirmed in the published case of Atlas Construction Supply versus Swinnerton Builders. Atlas claimed that the trial court erroneously ruled that Atlas lacked standing to oppose Swinnerton's motion for summary judgment and on that basis, the court did not consider a meritorious opposition brief filed by Atlas. Atlas argued that if the court had considered the opposition brief, it is reasonably likely the court would have denied Swinerton's motion for summary judgment, plaintiffs and Swinterton's never would have settled plaintiff's wrongful death complaint, and the court never would have made the good faith settlement determination, and Swinnerton and Atlas never would have stipulated to the dismissal of Atlas's cross-complaint. But the Court of Appeal concluded that Atlas was not aggrieved by the trial court's exoneration of Swinnerton in the wrongful death action. Therefore, Atlas lacked standing to appeal the summary judgment order in favor of Swinnerton. As for the Good Faith Settlement Determination and the dismissal of Atlas's cross-complaint, it concluded that Atlas waived its challenge to those orders by failing to make substantive legal arguments specific to those orders. Therefore, the Court of Appeal dismissed the appeal insofar as it pertains to the summary judgment order and affirmed the remaining challenged orders. And now our crime report. The Employment Development Department fraud losses are now estimated to be a whopping 11 billion dollars. And Julie Sue, a veteran labor union leader who heads the California Labor and Workforce Development Agency, publicly acknowledged that the EDD, one of the line departments she oversees, had failed miserably to stop rampant fraud in the distribution of pandemic-related unemployment insurance benefits. Sue said at a news conference that there is no sugarcoating the reality that California did not have enough security measures in place. At least 10% of the $100-plus billion in state and federal benefits EDD paid out were fraudulent, she said, adding that the final total could be much higher. Journalists at the Sacramento Bee now estimate the loss to be upward of $11 billion. A few weeks ago, the loss estimates were only about $8 billion. Organized crime rings and prison inmates filed thousands of fraudulent claims for benefits that EDD readily paid. One reason was that EDD had canceled a contract with a firm that flagged suspicious claims, then rehired the same contractor only after the rampant fraud became apparent. As Julie sue spoke, political media reported that President Joe Biden has chosen her for the number two spot in the U.S. Department of Labor. They also predicted rough sledding in her Senate confirmation hearings due to the fraud scandal and EDD's truly monumental failures in processing legitimate unemployment insurance claims and causing needless stress to jobless workers and their families. This week, State Auditor Elaine Howley also issued a damning report on the EDD's failings while pointing out that they had been evident for many years. One passage of Howell's letter was directed at Sue. It said that in spring of 2020, the Secretary of Labor and Workforce Development Agency had directed the EDD to pay certain claimants unemployment insurance benefits without making key eligibility determinations and to temporarily stop collecting biweekly eligibility certifications. Although both directives were designed to provide Californians with benefit payments as quickly as possible, the U.S. Department of Labor has not waived these requirements, and consequently, EDD now faces a very large impending workload of eligibility certifications that threatens its ability to operate effectively. Howley also said that the EDD struggled to provide claimants assistance with their claims. At the beginning of the claim surge, EDD's call center answered less than 1% of the calls it received. EDD then quadrupled its available call center staff to more than 5,600 people in response to its call center problems, but these staff were often unable to assist callers and only marginally improved the percentage of calls and answered. Holly's report did not delve into the fraud scandal, but she will issue another report this week on that aspect, and it's not likely to pull any punches. Sue may not be the only political figure tarnished by the auditor's twin reports, They generate more ammunition for the recall campaign against Governor Newsom that centered on his handling of the pandemic response. Recall backers say they are very close to having enough signatures on petitions to force a recall election. If they succeed, he would be forced to defend why the EDD plummeted off the rails, handing out billions of taxpayer dollars to crooks while failing to quickly process legitimate claims. In a civil complaint filed in the Eastern District of California, federal officials allege that Lawrence Howen and the pharmacy he owns, NorCal Pharmacies Incorporated, doing business as Lockford Drug, which operates in Lockford, California, unlawfully dispense controlled substances in violation of the Controlled Substances Act. The complaint alleges that Howen failed to meet his obligations as the pharmacist of Lockford Drug in dispensing dangerous opioids and other drugs. Howen knowingly filled over 700 controlled substance prescriptions that were not issued for a legitimate medical purpose, and he filled prescriptions outside the ordinary course of a pharmacy's practice. This unlawful contract resulted in the improper dispensing of over 100,000 doses of controlled substances, primarily prescription opioids. Civil penalties and injunctive relief are sought to prevent Howen from committing further violations. This case is the product of an investigation by the Drug Enforcement Administration's Sacramento Tactical Diversion Squad. The California Attorney General announced a $40 million nationwide settlement with Apria Healthcare Group, Inc., resolving allegations that the respiratory services provider violated the Federal False Claims Act, along with numerous state anti-fraud laws, by seeking Medicaid reimbursement for ventilation machines that were not medically necessary or reasonable. Apria is headquartered in Lake Forest, California, in Orange County. A civil action was filed in 2017 against Apria, claiming the company sought reimbursements for non-invasive ventilators when it was medically unnecessary, unreasonable to use them. Apria offers three categories of respiratory equipment, with each category performing more complex and more costly procedures than the last. Non-invasive ventilators are in the third most costly tier and therefore receive the highest and longest paid reimbursement rate due to their high maintenance. It was discovered that Apria aimed to increase profits by attempting to persuade healthcare providers to convert patients from the second category of respiratory devices to the third category which is the non-invasive ventilators. It then billed for the ventilators that were either not used by the patients, were used inconsistently, or only performed the function of the respiratory equipment in their first or second tier. Routine physician visit visits to confirm an individuals following correct NIV procedures were also neglected. After analyzing this fraudulent behavior, it was concluded by both the federal and state governments that APRIA had failed its duty to correctly and accurately report NIV usage and in turn violated the Federal False Claims Act, along with numerous state anti-fraud statutes, including the California False Claims Act. Nonetheless, APRIA just filed documents with the Securities and Exchange Commission on January 18, 2021, announcing its intent to go forward with its initial public offering now. Apria said in the SEC documentation that it served nearly 2 million patients, made nearly 2.4 million deliveries, and conducted more than 744,000 clinician interactions with its patients in 2019. It generated $1.1 billion in net revenue and $15.6 million in net income. The company says that home respiratory and sleep therapy represents 80% of its 2019 revenue. And in regulatory news, the California Attorney General announced the creation of the workers' rights and Fair Labor Section within the California Department of Justice's Division of Public Rights. This new section initially operated as a bureau within the Civil Rights Enforcement Section. The establishment of the unit as a new section on its own will expand the Department of Justice's capacity to protect the health, safety, and rights of workers. The section will help bring increased focus and expertise to implement policy and protect against workplace issues, including in the underground economy. One target will be wage theft. By working with partner agencies to help address systemic deficiencies that result in workers losing out on their wages they are due, including in instances where businesses fail to pay overtime or allow for meal and rest breaks. Another will be health and safety violations. This will be accomplished by stepping up the DOJ's ability to tackle current and emerging trends, such as those brought on by the coronavirus. It will also pursue employee misclassification by protecting workers from being inappropriately classified as independent contractors. The Division of Workers' Compensation has just posted an order adjusting the pathology and clinical laboratory section of the official medical fee schedule to conform to relevant 2021 changes in the Medicare payment system. The order is the third administrative director order for January 21 annual update to the pathology and clinical laboratory fee schedule. The order adopts continued use of the prices of specified COVID-19-related testing codes that do not have national prices but are priced by the California Medicare Administrative Contractor. The adjustment is effective for services rendered after January 1 and can be found on the website of the Division of Workers' Comp on the Pathology and Clinical Laboratory webpage. cal osha is reminding employers in california to post their 2020 annual summary of work-related injuries and illnesses including those related to covid 19 in a visible and easily accessible area at each work site the form 300a summary must be posted each year from february 1 through april 30 instructions and the form templates are available for download From the Cal OSHA's Record Keeping Overview section. The overview gives instructions on completing both the log, which is Form 300, and the annual summary, which is Form 300A, of work related injuries and illnesses. Reportable injuries include those that involve death, days away from work, restricted work or transfer to another job, medical treatment beyond first aid, loss of consciousness, or a significant injury or illness diagnosed by a physician or other licensed health care professionals. If a work-related COVID-19 case meets one of these criteria, then covered employers in California must record the case on their 300-300A and 301 or equivalent forms. Posting of the summary helps ensure workers are aware of work-related injuries and illnesses that occurred the previous year. Current and former employees and their representatives are entitled to a copy of the summary or the log upon their request. Many employers in California must also comply with electronic submission of workplace injury and illness records requirements by March 2nd each year. Cal OSHA has posted details on which employers are required to submit the electronic report as well as other information online. The National Association of Insurance Commissioners, NAIC, released a report on insurance profitability by line and by state in 2019. The ability to analyze results by state and line of business enhances transparency on the financial impact of the economic climate has had on each of these lines of insurance. When combined with other information, the report can be utilized to further analyze or a further analysis of competition and market performance. It found that total premiums earned increased over the nine years included in the report, while losses incurred and loss adjustment expenses have remained relatively flat. The countrywide direct return on net worth for the total property and casualty insurance market increased for a second consecutive year to 8.6%. Private passenger auto makes up a large portion of the property and casualty market, accounting for about 37% of the total direct premiums earned in 2019. In 2018 and 2019, Losses and loss adjustment expenses accounted for over 70% of direct premiums earned countrywide for all property and casualty lines combined. The complete report is available on the NAIC publications page. And in medical news, the emergence of the COVID-19 worldwide pandemic in 2019 and efforts by all levels of government to control the spread of the disease through lockdowns and travel restrictions has reduced business activity in many industries. Data released by the Department of Commerce's Bureau of Economic Analysis in late July 2020 indicated that the country's gross domestic product decreased by an annual rate of 32.9% as a consequence to state and local government responses to control the spread of the epidemic. Consequently, the frequency of musculoskeletal work-related injuries, especially in the entertainment, travel, and hospitality industries, has decreased, as indicated in the California Workers' Compensation Institute's interactive app. As the frequency of the traditional injuries associated with work declined, the risk of exposure to COVID-19 increased significantly for various occupational groups. Many jobs that had typically not been considered high risk became high risk for workers exposed to and infected by covid Recently, a new study published in the Journal of Occupational and Environmental Medicine sought to determine the industries with the highest proportion of accepted COVID-19-related workers' comp claims. The purpose of this investigation was to quantify the differences in the proportion of COVID-19-related and non-COVID-19-related injuries and illnesses reported through the workers' compensation system by Industrial Classification. The study included more than 21,000 workers' compensation claims that were filed between January 2020 and August 31, 2020 from 11 states in the Midwest U.S. The overwhelming proportion of all COVID-19-related claims submitted and accepted were from healthcare workers, followed by individuals employed in retail trades, and then real estate and leasing. Within the healthcare employment, work comp claims submitted by workers in medical laboratories had the highest risk. Conversely, in the study population, employment outside healthcare did not appear to consistently elevate the risk of infection, and filing a claim for workers comp to pay for the medical care and lost time associated with this condition. Officials say 33% of Los Angeles County residents have been COVID infected. The statistics released by the county's Department of Health Services suggested a spread much wider than even the county's own confirmed toll. The county's total number of officially confirmed positive cases throughout the year was slightly more than 975,000, nearly one in every five residents but officials continue to believe that in a region of 10 million people, the virus likely infected many more people who simply have not been tested or exhibited symptoms. Their scientific projections arrived at a one out of three ratio, or about 3.2 million infections, according to county officials. These officials believe that for every reported case, between three and four actual infections have occurred. And the results, if traditional patterns of behavior during the pandemic hold up, could spur crisis-level demand at hospitals if the expected holiday surge takes hold. The director of the COVID-19 demand modeling for L.A. County Department of Health Services said... That his estimated undercount is a function of various patterns of behavior. He claimed there's a period when you may be infected without any symptoms, and some people never have symptoms and have no way of ever knowing they got sick, so they do not get tested. He says then there are people who have mild symptoms, maybe a slight cough or cold, and they often feel there's no reason to be tested. And yet there's another group who know they are positive perhaps and they live in a household where another is infected but they don't go out or present themselves for care because they do not want to infect others. What has complicated considerations for public health researchers and the health care providers is the devious nature of the disease itself. They say it's a disease that can affect two people who look the same but one will get over in a week to 10 days and one will end up on a ventilator or die. The medical director of the intensive care unit at Providence Cedar sinai Tarzana Medical Center said the three-to-one ratio seemed a bit high, but it would not surprise him if it were accurate. But even, but even if the number was that high, he said that still nowhere near it's needed to be to have herd immunity. A new batch of production projections will be out next week and could be the biggest indicator of whether an expected holiday wave will emerge in the coming weeks. So that is all of our news and events for this week. Please check our website daily for news updates, past editions of our news, and much more. <clears throat> and you can subscribe to our weekly news podcasts and special reports using your iPhone, iPad, or Android device. By searching for the WorkComp Academy with your podcast software, and we also publish our daily news podcast and other utilities on our free WorkCompApps.com smartphone app. Again, I'm Renee Fols with Floyd Scarrin, and Langavin. Thanks for joining us today, and please drop by again next week for more news. <music>